I see this on YouTube and I click on it, of course, and because there's a, a ton of views on it. And I'm like, well, let me see what it is. Because they were speaking to someone who is a criminal behaviorist who is a specialist in body language and things of that nature. So this woman is talking and they're assessing this guy, Brian Koberger, because he had been arraigned. Apparently this guy drove all the way to Pennsylvania, I guess where he's from, during the holidays. And there's been body camera footage of him getting pulled over for speeding with his father and yada. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial in Richland County history. Dr. John Boyle is accused of killing his wife, Noreen, and burying her body in the basement of his new home in Erie, Pennsylvania. The 12-year-old son finally took the stand. As I heard a scream, I heard a thud. It was about this loud. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty. When I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. This podcast serves as a type of therapy and reconciliation for myself, and it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Hey, movers. Welcome back to another episode of Moving Past Murder. I'm your host, Collier Landry, and Happy New Year 2023, everyone. It is going to be a great year. I know it for certain. I can feel it in my bones. I mean, look, 2022 was a great year for me and you guys were a part of that. This year is going to be no different and I'm really excited. I think about every year, like my New Year's resolutions and what I'm going to do. And I try not to really have New Year's resolutions, but I did ask the phenomena that is chat GPT. And if you guys are not familiar with chat GPT, it's something that came out the end of November of last year. And it is an AI chat thing that you can ask questions to. Now it doesn't really, it doesn't know anything like of recent history. Like you, I think it stops at like 2021. So you can't ask it like questions or statistics about the pandemic or about sports or like recent events. Right. But it does, it is a great little thing to bounce off of. And I said, chat GPT, what percentage of new year's resolutions are actually kept? And it says, it is difficult to determine an exact percentage of New Year's resolutions that are kept as different studies have produced varying results. However, it is generally believed that relatively small percentage of resolutions are successful in the long term. One study found that 25% of people were able to stick to their resolutions after just one week. And another found that only 8% of people were actually able to achieve their resolution. But then it offers a little bit of hope. It says, it is worth noting that the likelihood of success can be increased with proper planning and support. I am a big planner. You guys are a big support system. So I have a few New Year's resolutions I'm going to share with you. One is I gained about 10 pounds after I lost my dog last year. At the end of October, beginning of November, I was eating sugar, which is not a great thing. And of course, there's holidays. So I am resolved to lose that 10 pounds plus probably another 15 more. I would like to get in really killer shape this year. Like I always have been, but I really, I want to lose, like I said, 25 pounds. So I weighed myself this morning, January 6th, and I weighed 200 and I can't even believe I'm going to say this, 225 pounds. Now I am six foot two and I am pretty muscular and pretty big and I am an avid exerciser. I swim almost every day or I mountain bike when I wherever I can. Unfortunately, that has not been happening lately because I live in Southern California and we've been having this 
atmospheric river that has just been dumping buckets of rain on us, which kind of is a bummer. And I know that half the country is in a deep freeze off and on and all of that, but it's a real bummer to our lifestyle here. So I am determined to get out on the bike more when the sun, when the weather permits. It's sunny today, thank God. So maybe I'll go for a ride. But uh, I'm determined to get that stubborn 25 pounds plus that, you know, that, including that extra 10 pounds that I gained because I was sad and I was eating and I was eating sugar and it's not really good for your mental health or your well-being to eat a lot of sugar. And I know that bad boy slapped myself on the hands, but that's my New Year's resolution. And you guys can hold me to it because I'm going to check in. I don't know if I'm going to do it every week, but with my weight loss goals over the next several months, if not the entire year, I want to lose it like in the next four months. I want to, you know, I'm a guy. We should, we are fortunate enough to be able to lose weight fairly quickly, but we'll see what happens. The second thing that I really want to do this year, and it's just really dependent upon how the podcast goes, is I want to have more episodes of the podcast come out. I love to release two a week if I could. You know, we'll see what happens with that. That is one of my goals this year. Also to grow my support system in Patreon, which helps support this program. Also to really be able to engage with more mental health people, more people in society and mental health. I know that a lot of this podcast was started on the foundation of true crime because look, I made my film A Murder in Mansfield. I am a true crime survivor and I share things like my father's letters and my personal story. And I want to share more of my personal story on how I came to even make that movie, what my life was like in California, why I'm even here in the first place doing this podcast. But I also want to engage with people that I think are more, that are very interesting to me. And look, I've had a ton of guests on this program. I'm saying like all the guests I've had are fantastic, but I want to sort of start to away from so much true crime that I, as a true crime survivor, I definitely want to engage more on the mental health of all of it. And that is going to kind of segue into my topic today. So I was on a TikTok live a couple of days ago. Now, every week I do Instagram lives at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern every single week to engage with you guys. And I've started going on TikTok recently. I have a large TikTok following, but I've started doing lives on TikTok more. And I'm probably going to do those every week as well, right after the Instagram ones. And that's one of my goals is to do that this year as well. But somebody brought up something that was really interesting to me. And they said, what do you think of this Brian Koberger, the Idaho murders? And to be honest with you, I did, I don't know very much about them at all. And I, as someone who has been a victim and who got into sort of the true crime space. And this last year, 2022, the podcast grew so much. And I went to things like CrimeCon and I met fellow survivors like Tara Newell, Kara Robinson Chamberlain, Lee Corbin, Sarah Turney, obviously, Lenora Clare, a bunch of advocates, unfortunately, mostly female because, you know, that is sort of... <laughs> Unfortunately, how crime is perpetrated a lot of times, but I met a lot of people in that world. And I also met a lot of people that have true crime podcasts or shows. And I started really seeing the effects of true crime on survivors and on people whose stories are exploited. And so I just really don't get into true crime just because I'm also, I think it's sort of a space that is very, I feel like, and I've talked about it a lot on this program. I feel 
the obsession with true crime is not ultimately a very healthy thing, at least not for me. I can't speak for other people, but I feel like when you're constantly thinking about murders and violence and toxic behaviors of other individuals all the time, it really is not great for your mental health. I know I feel bad about looking at it, and I'm going to get into that. So somebody asked me about these Idaho murders, this guy, Brian Koberger, who I believe that's his name, and what I thought of them. Well, my initial reaction was, I think it's horrible. There's murder of four innocent college students were murdered, and that is terrible. That is terrible for them. That is terrible for their families, their friends, their community, the school as a whole, the university. So I always approach these things with a victim's first mentality. And even though I read my father's letters on this podcast to share with you guys what psychopathy looks like, what narcissism looks like, I also, I type into YouTube because I was like, you know what, let me educate myself about this. So because people were sharing with me different things on that particular live and they were saying, you know, this happened and they found this evidence and they did this. And then some people chimed in. They said, look, no, that's not true. The only thing they found was this DNA evidence here and this. And I know that there's been a bunch of updates. It's January 6th. There's been a bunch of updates since a few days ago when this, when I was engaged in this conversation, which was January 3rd. So I understand that there's updates, but I go onto YouTube and I'm like, let me just look at this. And the first thing that pops up is this thing on, I believe it's the Fox News Nation. I see this on YouTube and I click on it, of course, because there's a, a ton of views on it. And I'm like, well, let me see what it is. Because they were speaking to someone who is a criminal behaviorist, who is a specialist in body language and things of that nature. So this woman is talking and they're assessing this guy, Brian Koberger, because he had been arraigned. Apparently, this guy drove all the way to Pennsylvania, I guess where he's from, during the holidays. And there's been body camera footage of him getting pulled over for speeding with his father. And I'm probably telling you guys this, you already know. He was extradited back to face these charges. Now, this woman is assessing his behavior and his mannerisms. And there's very limited footage of this. A lot of them are photographs, really. But she says something to the effect of he was walking. People were filming him and he was walking in handcuffs in his jumpsuit, orange jumpsuit or red jumpsuit. And he says, and she says, look at him. He's very solemn after talking to the judge. So that tells you something. And I'm like, hold on. Anyone that goes to court doesn't like being in court. It sucks. And you're always soft. Then she starts talking about his mannerisms of blinking his eyes and biting his lip in the courtroom, supposedly is what he was doing. And then that shows he's having anxiety and therefore he must be guilty. That's what she was alleging. And look, I am not here to debate this guy's guilt or innocence. I know that there's evidence has come out against this guy. I was talking about it with somebody yesterday. They said, oh, there's all this evidence. Gotta. But what I am concerned about is somebody on a news program saying he killed someone. Because to me... We live in a country where you have a right to a fair and speedy trial, right? And I think what I'm getting into, and this is something that I'm actually going to discuss with a guest of mine next week named Dr. Danielle Slakoff. I met her on Twitter engaging in a true crime conversation about advocacy and victims, and she is a specialist in true crime and media. I'm very excited for you guys to hear that conversation next week. But one of the things is when I think about this is there is so much conjecture, speculation. And I had interviewed a couple of months ago for another podcast, which is coming out this year called Survivor Squad that I do with Tara Newell, who you guys know from Dirty John. She's been on this program many times. She and I interviewed Kelsey German and Kelsey German's sister Liberty and her best friend Abigail were murdered in the Delphi, Indiana murders. And we were engaging this conversation. When I was talking to her, I didn't know until she said she was from Delphi, Indiana, that 
she was part of this because I don't pay attention to the, these things. Again, this program is called Moving Past Murder. And really what it's about and what I hope that it becomes even more about is taking these challenging circumstances and showing that you can come out of them on the other side fairly unscathed and lead a good and productive life and a healthy life. And that's what I want this to really be about, right? But one of the things she was saying to me is she said, you know, there's so much people are just creating content based around her sister's case to get clicks and likes and they're clout chasing and all those things. And I'm aware that people do that. I'm very sensitive to that. And so I see these YouTube videos and to speak to her case, I remember somebody was telling me, oh, I've, there's guys that do CAD drawings of the bridge and an assessment of when the murders occurred. I'm just thinking to myself, that is a lot. And I know that media is exploitative. It absolutely is. But I think, and there's a point to all this. I think back to how much conjecture is created and how much content is created around these cases and everybody weighing in. The Monday morning quarterbacks, the armchair detectives of, oh, there's this. The only people's opinions that really matter are that of the jury, that of law enforcement that is gathering evidence against these people. And that's all that matters. And speculation really only hurts, in my opinion. And I think back to what would have happened if this all and I know that people did speculate and have all these ideas around my father's case, but there was no internet. There was no TikTok. There was no YouTube, right? At that time. I shudder to think what would have come out at that time if those things were actually a reality at that point in time. And because it seems like everybody has an opinion and I'm not doing this to excoriate or put anyone down for doing it. Look, we're all going to talk about things. That's just human nature. But when people are trying to seal cases and seal evidence so the public doesn't have access to this, the speculation just becomes polarizing, like everything has these days. If you don't believe me on this, then you're wrong, and you don't like this person, then you're wrong, and you're bad, and cancel you. And it's really unfortunate because all of this ever does is hurt the victims, the survivors of the crime, the actual people that are affected by it in law enforcement. And also, you know, look, I don't know if Brian Koberger is innocent or guilty. We will see how it all plays out. But also, if you're putting someone on trial in the court of public opinion, as often happens, and I remember the O.J. Simpson trial, and it was drug, dragged out for so long. It was, I believe the trial was almost a year it was happening when I was a senior or junior in high school, junior, senior year. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Junior year, something like that. And I just remember all the speculation around that. And look, I grew up in Ohio. I can't even imagine what it was like living in Los Angeles at that time where it was all going on. And I understand that media does this. And there was another unfortunate thing that was very traumatic that happened in the sports world this week where a, a safety for the Buffalo Bills named Damar Hamlin, literally collapsed after tackling a member of the Cincinnati Bengals on Monday Night Football. And he had to be resuscitated on the field. There was CPR that canceled the game. The game has now, I think, been permanently postponed as far as I know. And I just remember all the outpouring of people like, oh my God, and his charity like was trying to raise $2,500 and ended up raising like five or six. I have no idea what it's up to. It was like five or six million or something, which is incredible. Like that's amazing that people rallied behind that. As someone who is a sports fan, I would also see everyone weighing in on every topic, all this and oh, we're going to talk about this. And it's like, my God, a man 
almost died on a football field. And apparently, as of today, he's he, they've taken his breathing tube out and he's okay and he's responsive and now he's talking. And that's amazing because, you know, I believe that he was dead for a moment on that football field. And because of the excellent work of the on-field staff and the training staff, and there was medical doctors there and they saved this man's life, which is incredible. And thank God. But yeah, he's shown a lot of improvement, but I just see like everyone jumping into the feeding frenzy. And I understand that's part of media. I think it particularly hits home for me more so when it's true crime related, because I, as a victim, I, as a survivor of a victim and someone who fought for my and advocated for my mother at such a young age to even lead to my father's arrest, I just, my heart goes out to these people because their lives are just being exploited. And I've talked to people about this on this program before, but I see this, but it is, it's like a feeding frenzy with this, with these Idaho murders. And I think when I'm thinking about New Year's resolutions and I'm thinking about mental health and all that, uh, you know, maybe just take a break <laughs> is what I'm saying. Maybe take a little bit of a break from being so obsessed with these things because at the end of the day, we're talking about murder and crime. And these are things that I feel are, well, they are toxic. They Murder is a bad thing. And victims, families going through pain and tragedy is a bad thing. I mean, I just think about when I was in college and I don't remember anything like this happening where I went to school, which is Ohio University, go Bobcats. But I do remember what it was like to be in a college community and to have something like this happen. Everyone's going to feel unsafe. And even when I was talking to Kelsey a few months ago, her town of Delphi, Indiana was something like 3000 people. And she was saying much like I would say that my community Mansfield was like where, you know, you knew your neighbors and you guys interacted and Hey, you want to come over and borrow a cup of sugar? Yeah. The back door is unlocked. No problem. Go right in. And they were living in fear until their, until their suspect was apprehended over five years later. And just the conjecture that just goes on with all of this, the speculation, everything, maybe it's just time to take a little bit of pause. And so back to what I was saying about this behavioral specialist, because she's assessing this and then she starts using language like, well, he killed them. He murdered them because he was part of this group and this end cell or something like that, which means they're people that are angry young males that aren't having sex and all this. And I don't know what this guy was into. There's a lot of people that are into a a lot of shit that I don't understand. That would be one of them. Her, just her rhetoric was very much like he's guilty. And it's understand it's one thing to have private conversations, private people having these things. But when people who are in a place of authority or considered quote unquote experts that are on news programs saying this, it was just disturbing. And then she started going into how his father was dressed in the courtroom showing up and he wasn't dressed appropriately. And I don't even know what he was wearing because she didn't even really describe it. Maybe he was wearing shorts and they didn't like that. I have no idea. And then also his father had filed for bankruptcy 12 years ago, a dozen years ago, like 2010. 
And therefore his father wasn't a good role model for him. I don't know what someone going into bankruptcy has to do with someone murdering students. I have no idea what that connection is. I'm not an expert in that field, but the way that just, it's almost like this sort of grabbing for straws type stuff that I just find it, I find it really poisonous. And this is not to say that this is just Fox. Then I click over to an, to a video on CNN and it's the same thing. It's the same rhetoric. Everyone is judging this guy and I'm not here again. I'm not saying the guy's guilty or innocent. I have no idea because you know what? I know for a fact, one thing for certain, I was not there. I have no idea. What I do know is it is what it is like to have this sort of speculation and this sort of dialogue. Oh, why do they do this and that and blah, 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 and fear mongering and all of these things that surround cases like this. Like as someone who's been through all of this, I share letters on this program of my father speculating and raising and going on radio programs, which I have more tapes of that I'll be sharing in the next few weeks, a couple months into this year of my father, you know, speculating, speculating and raising questions about my mother and saying my mother was involved in all this criminal activity. And that's really what caused her murder. I mean, it's utterly fanciful, but it's very interesting to me, but it's also hurtful. And I think about when there's all this speculation that goes out around these cases that I think when I think of new year's resolutions, I think that maybe we could all resolve to be better people for things that don't really involve us or don't really concern us. It's one thing to have an opinion, but when I see these people constantly commenting on it and YouTube video after YouTube video, it's like some people just need to take a moment take a step back and say, what if this was my life? And I know a lot of true crime fans indulge in the fantasy of solving murders and wanting to be involved and catch the killer in the case. And that spot that spawns so many groups. And I've been made aware of this in my last year of sort of speaking to a lot of people that are in the true crime world, that there are people that have organizations that are finding facts and looking for cases and going to gonna go ahead and we're gonna be the ones to catch this guy we're gonna do this i mean i watched a documentary a year ago now called don't f with cats and in that documentary what i found terrifying was not only the fact that the guy was a complete psychopath and that was really scary to me and i watched it i had no idea what it was about by the way but then what was even more terrifying is the fact that there were so many people that were able to access information to that help apprehend this guy, which was a great thing, by the way. But I thought, wow, my God, they were on all these chat boards and everything. And I just, I don't know what the answer is. I'm not here to give an answer. I'm here to just maybe say for the sake of everyone's mental health and well-being that we shouldn't be thinking about this stuff all the time. I don't know. That could be a great New Year's resolution. I don't know. That could be a great New Year's resolution. I don't know, but who am I to judge what other people are doing? Anyways, it is a free society, but just saying as a sort of aside, when you're thinking about these types of things, maybe consider that other people's feelings are in place because all of the victims that are involved in this situation are, you know, even the students at the university are now going to have to 
to move on with their lives and hopefully, you know, hopefully come to a sort of peace and understanding that they're going to be okay. And I mean, look, I still have nightmares about my father murdering my mother. I shared on last week's episode that I had a nightmare that I thought he was coming into my room two days before I recorded the episode. That is some stuff that is trauma really does stay with you. And uh, there's a there's a book that everybody keeps telling me to read, which I am going to finally read. It is called The Body Keeps the Score. I'm going to check into that because I'm finding that, oh yeah, there's a lot of things that I don't know. And I've done some recent interviews with other friends of mine and listeners, audience members that have gone through trauma of murder and things like that. And we're discussing these same things, these same issues of how they heal and what their process has been moving forward, moving past their trauma. So it's going to be some great conversations that you guys can look forward to here in 2023. I am so excited. Also, I am going to get the 23andMe test. I swear to God, I'm going to do it this year because I want to find out more about my family that I don't really know. But look, at the end of the day, I'm resolving to be a better person this year to really just get myself into top-notch shape and also to really give you guys the top-notch quality content that is heartfelt, that is sincere, that is authentic to who I am and what I stand for and what I have been through in my life. And hopefully that will resonate with you guys because I feel like it is. I really do. And you know what? I hope that I can win some awards because for those of you that voted for me for the Signal Award, I will know on January 10th whether I won or not. Fingers crossed that this program is a winner. I would be so excited. So on that note, happy new year, 2023. May you all have a healthy and prosperous new year. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio. 